you ever sit there and like wonder what what was going on in the hearts and minds of these people that is the original audience of this? Mm. Like, I mean, they're, they're I think was, they would have struggled with it. I think oh, that they totally. would have too. We were talking about this yesterday. I, I and I think if if we're fair, if we put ourselves in the original audience, we'd we have missed have it too. too. We'd have missed it too. Now that we've bantered, you guys want to close down the podcast? Hey, welcome to the Rethink Podcast, <laughs> where we talk about softball. Mm-hmm. And 35 minutes of nothing. Is that 35 minutes we've been talking? No. I don't know. Not quite. Almost. All right. We're actually talking about the Sermon on the Mount. Tough, pa- tough passage this week. Where are you guys at? Clay County. <laughs> well, you're in Effingham County, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> What text? <laughs> Matthew 5, Matthew 17 five. through 20. 17 through 20. Can but I'm going to preach... Uh, Let me read a recap on that. Let me read it for the folks. Uh, yeah, yeah read I probably it. need it. This is people in Andrew's life group that probably don't read the Bible when they go to life group. <laughs> oh, no. We read the Bible at life group. <laughs> Heard it here first. We just... Sometimes we don't get Break to hear windows, it. eat snacks. Church. With all those kids, who knows what they hear. Uh, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. I think, yeah. So whenever I first started working on this, I think for 2023 Christians in in Effingham, this one is kind of like, all right, and we just move on because it's not really that big of a deal for us. We we haven't given much thought about the law or the prophets, and there's places, not correctly, but there's places that are like, oh, you don't need the Old Testament. That's the Old Covenant or whatever, and you know we only preach New Testament type things. I know a guy who said you should only preach the red letters. Hmm. And, words of Jesus. Yeah, and like Jesus himself says, no, that's not true. There's one story here, and there is a, a picture of a covenant and a covenant people in relationship with God. And so whenever Jesus says, I haven't come to abolish the law or the prophets, which is a very specific phrasing. It's not and the prophets, it's or the prophets. Um, it's, it's a big claim. It's a, an identity piece for who he is and the mission that he's called to do and then the commissioning for who we are as his people. What's the big deal about the or prophets? So the or is a separation, um, the law or the prophets, because the prophets were the ones basically continually pointing people to God, but then also pointing towards the Messiah, Emmanuel, and so he's saying that um, 
he's not he's not come to get rid of what God has taught, and he's not coming to get rid of the proclamation of what is coming, the Messiah. If you would have done and, it, it could have been interpreted in a different way in a holistic of the entire Old Testament. Does that make sense? Like, um, he didn't come to get... Well, so that's the debate. What's the law here? Is it the Ten Commandments? Is it the Pentateuch? Mm-hmm. Is it the whole Old Testament? Or right. is it the traditions and interpretations of the scribes and Pharisees? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because in Judaism, you have three sets of laws. You have the moral law, Ten Commandments. You have the ceremonial laws, Leviticus. Which is the worship-oriented things. Yeah, worship-oriented, and then also how you're going to live with one another. So... Leviticus is all about how we relate to God and how we how they were to relate to one another. Um, and so you have the Levitical laws. That's the ceremonial laws. That's dietary laws, worship laws, all that stuff. Then you have the judicial laws in Judaism. And that's what we see like whenever Pilate says, um, or like the Jews are saying, hey, we want to crucify him. They can't actually kill anyone because of their judicial laws. They can't put anyone to death. So they have to appeal to Pilate to get Roman law to intervene on that. And so judicial law is how they would um, punish or, you know, take care of matters within the community of the Israelites. So those are three distinct sections of law. Like civil issues. Yeah. Uh, And so which ones are they? Well, uh, that's the big issue. I mean, you could jump straight to our culture because, you know, Leviticus talks about um, sexual relations homosexuality, things of that nature. And there's a lot of folks argue today, well, that's that's old covenant. Mm-hmm. Jesus doesn't, which is not true, but <laughs> Jesus doesn't reinstate that or whatever, so it's nullified and that doesn't apply today and blah, 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 blah. That, those, this is a real issue, though. Oh, yeah. It, you know, it's, it's a contemporary thing. Do we need the Old Testament? Do we need the law? How much is nullified? How much is carried over? So here's here's one thing I think we need to consider is actually nothing is nullified. Everything is fulfilled. Hmm. That's a big distinction. So the Old Testament and everything that's written, as Hebrews says, is a shadow of the good things. That's Hebrews 10. A shadow of the good things that are to come in Christ. And so it's this... It's a picture, even in even in Leviticus, it's a picture of what is to come and how we are to live in the kingdom of God. And that's why the Beatitudes are so important, because what we see moving out of this section, which you know we don't want to jump into too far, but you see Jesus saying, you've heard it said, and he's actually appealing back to well, even specifically the Ten Commandments right. about murder, about adultery, about how we live this moral. Because the Pharisees were very concerned about the ceremonial laws, the Levitical laws, like hardcore. And that's why he, when he says, you know, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the scribes, because they had the outward appearance, whitewashed tombs, Jesus talks about. They had this outward appearance of having it together, but inside the moral, the the spiritual concern was not there it was about self-promotion but yeah so what does that even mean why and why do we care why do we care i know that's what i was wrestling with is i tried to figure out how to share this passage is like because i'm down at clay county sunday 
do these people even care about this? I mean, really. Mm-hmm. And that's I don't mean that negative towards them. I mean, negative, that's just the reality of looking at this text. Because most of us, it's the Bible, right? Mm-hmm. we got the old and new. But even I think that the old and new has given us a mis, I'll say misunderstanding, maybe a faulty way of looking at the scripture. Because mm-hmm. there's only one story. Mm-hmm. And like old and new connotates that this is all gone and this is now here. Nah, it's not the way it is. Right. Fulfilled, right? Mm-hmm. right. Completed. It's flowing. It's a flowing story. Mm-hmm. And it all ties together. It's all, and, and, you know, I've been the last two or three years been noticing that as we pour more and more into Jewish culture and mm-hmm. understanding the Old Testament and seeing, man, all these threads are tied together, old and new. It's it's one story just leading to and leading from Jesus. Well, and you, you just touched on this, the Old Testament versus New Testament. Those are titles that, I mean, they wouldn't have had. No. Um, when but, they say scripture, they had they had old Right. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Everything that's written in the New Testament is a foundation or, and this is important too, it's built upon what has already been declared. So in the Sermon on the Mount, there's nothing new that's being presented here. It's only being magnified and clarified. Those are the keys that Jesus is bringing here, which ultimately that's what God has wanted to do the entire time is to heighten the relationship with him. So draw us into relationship with him and then clarify what it looks like to live in relationship with him. And Jesus says, you know, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So he's bringing a clarity to the picture of what it looks like to live in the kingdom. But we talk about the Old Testament, New Testament, but I've also heard this a lot, the Old Covenant versus the New Covenant. No, 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 no. It's the covenant of God. Starts way back in Genesis, begins with Abraham. If you know that story, Abraham, God is going to make a covenant with Abraham. God walks through in this pillar of fire smoke thing, walks through an animal that's split in half, and then he causes Abraham to fall into a deep sleep, and God passes through the covenant again, which means in a covenant, if I pass through this and I break my side of the deal, may it be so of this animal to my life. And so when God passes through it twice, he's saying, when you break the covenant, Abraham, and your people break the covenant, Abraham, I will die on your behalf to keep the covenant in place. And that's what we see in Jesus. It's the fulfillment of the covenant that God made with himself and for his people. It's actually incredibly cool. What does the word fulfill mean as opposed to completes or whatever? You know, what what is the word fulfill? What is he communicating there? Obviously, we're the two that have spent yeah. all week I've, on this I've text. I've spent a lot of time. I, I get that. I've spent... This is a tough one mm-hmm. so, to me. I, I struggle with this one. I haven't, but I, I'm going I'm to Go throw ahead. in some Romans here yeah. that tie it in. So um, Romans chapter 10, mm. I'm going to read 1 through 4. Um, this is Paul talking. He says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer for God, to God for the Israelites that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge, since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. And then verse 4 is the one I really want to emphasize. It says, Christ is the end of the law. 
so that they there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. And so you look at what you guys were talking about, verse 20 down there, and it's talking about you have to have this righteousness that is even greater than that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, which this righteousness is something that we cannot obtain. And so when you talk about the law and the fulfillment of the law, the fulfillment of the law is Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. And so Jesus is the end. And whether you're talking about the Ten Commandments, which to me, I'm I'm more inclined to go on that route just because everything after this in the Sermon Mount is just emphasizing the Ten Commandments. Or whether you're talking about the Torah, you're talking the whole entire book, regardless, Christ is the fulfillment because nothing that you and I can do or nothing that they could have done can achieve that fulfillment, can achieve fulfilling to the point where God desired it and God needed it other than Jesus Christ. Is that the NIV? That is the NIV, yeah. And it says Christ is the end of the law? Uh, this is the NIV 1984 version. Okay. Um, but yeah, it says Christ is the end of the law. Hmm. So there may be righteousness. So uh, it says Christ is the culmination okay. of the law. Yeah. The completeness. So I even in that, there's oh man, it's so loaded because is it the end of the penalty of the law or is it the end of the practice of the law? And this is what scholars have debated for hundreds of years over this issue. And so the reformers really wrestled through this because they're coming out of a um, system of indulgences and papal bulls and all these different things. And actually, I think some of the reformers probably went maybe too far on the side of like grace. And I don't know if you can or not, but like this is where the modern, um, so once saved, always saved idea comes from is a reactionary. It's, it's the abuse of grace of saying, okay, so Christ is the end of the law. So all I have to do is profess him as Lord and <clears throat> I'm good to go. Well, here's the, so if, if Christ is the fulfillment of Christ, in what was the purpose of the law? That's a good question. What was it? I'm asking you. Oh, it's to point us towards a right, the righteousness. If you always see righteousness and the law in combination, like whenever it's spoke about. So it's to point us to a right standing with God. Yep. And what does that come by? By so, Christ. Yeah. So yep. the, like the whole point was to have a relationship with God. Yep. The law was so that we, creation, could have a, a relationship with the creator. Yep. And so if Christ is the end of the law or the fulfillment of the law, um, however that is, what it, what it's saying is, because of Christ, I can now have a relationship with God the Father, with the Creator. Without that, we cannot do that. So it's not like your holy living is over. No, because all that is to point us to a relationship with God the Father. He's just saying, I have made it where you are inadequate, where you are not sufficient. I have made you adequate. I have made you sufficient so that you can be in a relationship with God the Father. Paul says the law... Without it, I wasn't aware that mm -hmm. I was a sinner. But yeah. now that there is a law, yep. I see, you know, the, the vast chasm that's between me and, and the Lord. It points out my sin. Mm -hmm. So the, ever, the, the law shows us our need. Yeah. You ever sit there and, like, wonder what what was going on in the hearts and minds of these people that is the original audience of this? Mm. Like, I mean, they're... they're I think was, they would have struggled with it. I think oh, that they totally. would have, too. We were talking about this yesterday. I, I And I think if... 
if we're fair, if we put ourselves in the original audience, we'd we have missed it too. too. We'd have missed it too. Yeah. I mean, this is this is God in the flesh. Right. Right. And so that doesn't just happen all the time. And I know they're anticipating that, but for that to be a reality in your presence, this is this is the guy who, you know, not sure about his mom and dad. Right? I mean, you know the rumors. Could be sketchy. Could be sketchy. Came from Nazareth. Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Um, and then he's not he's not following a pattern of law abiding like had been set for them culturally in their religion. You know, and I, I shared with you guys this. If you go about, you look at the Gospel of Mark, um, Mark details the miracles that Jesus was doing up until before the Sermon on the Mount. Mm-hmm. And it seems like a lot of them are directly done in such a way as to break their law, right? He's doing stuff on the Sabbath. He's uh, he's casting out demons, which is definitely catching their attention, right? That That's just not something that... Healing paralyzed. Healing the paralyzed. Forgiving sins. The touching a leper, mm-hmm. right? You know, so when Jesus touches the leper, by their law, he should have been unclean. But he reverses the law. He fulfills the law. Instead of him becoming unclean, he makes the leper pure. And so if you're in that original audience, you got all those people that have been healed. So their testimony is pretty strong, but that's personal, unless you knew them, right? And then you got, I think you've got the Pharisees and, and the teachers of the law who are kind of coming around. They're always waiting for the Messiah. Mm-hmm. And we give them a bad rap. I think sometimes some of them were there just to protect their own power and control. But I, I would think a lot of them were probably there because they're passionately pursuing God. Mm-hmm. They're just doing it in a way that's not going to get them there, right, by fulfilling his law. Oh, and all those interpretations, we talk about interpretations of the law. Like, for instance, honor the Sabbath as a commandment, but they had so many stipulations about how you do that. They didn't do that to control people. They did that so that people could keep the law. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? So if you're not going to work uh, on the Sabbath, what does that mean? Well, we'll define that for you so you yeah. don't have to question it. Their intent of the heart was pure in that. Most of the time. Yeah. yeah. And then it gets abused. I was thinking about, you know, you asked the question, why does this, why does this matter for people? And, you know, so you, you look at all the, the the original audience. When they heard the last verse that you just read, they're at now what we call, like, like the, we, you know, we're talking about this, the crisis of belief, mm-hmm. where they yeah. now have to decide. Never going to get there. Right. More righteous than a Pharisee? Nah, not even going to try. Exactly. But, and that's that's the whole picture that, you, that we were talking about in the first week is this upside down kingdom. Like, in order to be great, you have to be the least. If you want to live, you die. And now you are sitting at the moment of decision in the, in the audience going, what do I do now? Am I going to choose to follow and believe or am I going to walk away? I, you know, I, I mentioned last week that this probably was a dialogue. Yeah. Right. And so he lays this out there. And they probably talked about it for a while. And that would have been a precious thing to have. Mm. Oh, man. What, you know, because the question has to be, well, how can that ever be? Well, it can't. You can't. You just can't do that. So then he goes into this next section, which we'll talk about next week more. But so here's the law. Let me up the ante. Now it's getting even harder. Of course, when we get to the end, the the, the road is narrow. The gate's narrow. It's not many people are going to make it. Why? Because there's only one way. Yeah. There's only one way. 
Well, speaking about it, you know, being a dialogue, like, I mean, I think the name of the series, which we typically don't spend a lot of time developing, we typically just call things something. Anyway, but that's that's the cool part about this is like there there are a lot of people who would love to have been there to ask a question. They may not enjoy the answer, but you'd like to ask a question. I think one thing that we need to always be careful of here is with this section is that we don't um, give permission for people to delete the Old Testament or the sayings of what God is doing. You know what I'm saying? Like the Ten Commandments, right? The moral law of Moses that's given from God to Moses are still a pattern that we ought to keep. Right. Like, I mean, in the midst are, of this, Jesus says, if you teach people to do away with this, yeah. you're least in the kingdom. And so, like, we're not, we don't want to teach people those things are obsolete. Like, oh, you don't have to do those things anymore. It's in Christ now that we do these things out of a relationship in Christ that we live these things. So once we accept Christ and he bestows upon us righteousness by his gift, right? He's going to really up the ante on this. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, what does it mean to have to be more righteous than a Pharisee? It's like, okay, I can't just murder my brother. I, I can't even be mad at him. I can't just commit it, not commit adultery. I'm not supposed to lust. Mm-hmm. Wow. How am I going to do that? This is going to get tough, right? What's well, the picture going back to the covenant of, with Abraham? You can't do this. You know, Jesus is saying, I am the Sermon on the Mount. It's me. I was reading last week, uh, and I tried to communicate this in the message, but I, I don't, I'm not sure even how to bring it out and to make it really understandable. But this whole journey of, of following Christ, it's the relationship with Jesus that transforms us, mm-hmm. right? So we set about to transform our heart, you know, to wipe out all the sin, and we, we were going to fail at that. But when we build a relationship with Jesus, he changes us. By our journey together with him, we're different. And I don't know that unless you are doing that, that makes sense. I don't think it does. Unless, like you said, unless you're just doing it. You know, there are people that when you're around them, they make you better. There are people that when you're around them, make you worse. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What is it like when you're around Jesus? Right? And so that's why the crowds are clamoring to be around him. This, this guy's different. And when you're around Jesus, he changes you. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's powerful. It's also a little dangerous to hang out with Jesus. And they get a little glimpse of that. Because this is going to really rock the Pharisees' world. Oh, yeah. And that's why he ends up Beatitudes with persecution. Yep. Because mm-hmm. if you're around Jesus, that's where the devil doesn't want you to be. Mm-hmm. it's heavy I hope we can communicate this in a way that people get it yeah me too thoughts further thoughts Caleb Matt the only thing that comes to mind I think I said it earlier I can't remember if this was an earlier conversation but just where Andrew was talking about like the Old Testament law the the Ten Commandments that were given to Moses, like he is just to me is 
re-emphasizing that because as you read on the rest of the sermon around the mountain mount, mound uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 like every single point like he's talking about those things where it's not just a sentence that Moses received but now he's doing life like what you said you know it's not just not murdering but not even contemplating that in your head it's not committing adultery but if you think of a person lustfully in that way that is just as bad and so like it's even he's taking as you said going even deeper so so it's actually living those laws out because ultimately what god wants is our, our heart right not, correct not just our whitewashed tombs jesus gets man he gets in their face mm-hmm. not shy okay matt Championship uh, coach. Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say, it's just the continual reminder for me as I just keep reading this. It's relationship, not religion. That's what leads to, to that change. All righty. Thanks for joining us on the Rethink Podcast. <laughs>